Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We said this for as long as we've known anything about this draft. We've known this as we started diving into draft content before hockey was even really being played. We knew this as we were evaluating the players once we start to get some more game footage and highlights and reports and everything. Even as we've buckled down over the past you know, month, two months to really grind out our analysis of these prospects, bringing in other people to give their analysis of these prospects, it has become so evident that this is the hardest draft we've ever worked on. Ever. Like, I feel 40% confident in my top 10 rankings and it drops off a cliff after that. And not saying like I'm going to be 40% right. No, like I feel 40% confident that I'm even going to be my usual 10% right. Like it is absolutely insane the amount of variance, flipping around of names and I don't know, fuzziness there is in this draft. You mean minor hockey, junior hockey in a pandemic with players playing hockey on a different continent in a varying amount of games makes it weird? Who would have ever predicted that? Also, now every time I hear the word variance, all I can think of is Loki. But anyways, I'm excited. Believe it or not, still haven't watched the finale because last night's recording ran so long. Um, I feel bad for Evan because I think this is the first, like this is the most work. Evan puts more and more work into prospect stuff every year. And you can tell, and Evan picked (laughs) the worst year to really go head first into it. Yes, it was a good year to be ultra busy at work have to pack up your entire house to move to a new one and get all that fun stuff sorted out and this the draft at the same time uh evan is going to be responsible for both brant clark and luke hughes's draft rankings probably two of the hardest prospects to to pin down there so um that's completely on him no i'm kidding all right guys Ladies and gentlemen, um, those who have been unfortunately listening throughout the entire draft season, thank you so much for coming up to this point. This isn't the last of our draft content, but this is our major uh, piece of content, the NHL or the 2021 NHL draft preview episode. Uh, Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Cautiously and nervously, I'm Ryan Hanna. Probably somehow over and underprepared. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we will be talking everything 2021 NHL draft as it pertains to the Red Wings and the league at large. We're going to be talking about some of our own personal rankings, uh, what might happen at Detroit's pick, uh, what other teams are going to do, um, what's going to happen at the 23rd overall pick for Detroit. Um who might fall to the second round that they could target with one of their three second round picks, some possible trade scenarios. Uh, Brad is probably going to speak uninterrupted for seven and a half minutes without taking a breath at some point. Uh, Evan will turn purple, but then come back to life. It's going to be a whole thing. Um, and then at the end, we have time carved out for uh, patron questions uh, for overtime. So that's just a, a quick preview of what maybe to expect so uh we don't know how long this episode's gonna go we ha- we have no cap on it we have no plan time so whatever it ends up being it ends up being before all that 
of course, uh, I do want to talk to you about the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The more we talk about substance, substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative that was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, who you'll know as Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. And for all the new listeners, uh, if this is your first time listening to the Winged Wheel podcast or you haven't tuned in in a while, uh, I really encourage you to look back. Uh, not too long ago, we did have an interview with Ken Daniels. It's a full episode, and it's probably one of our favorite, if not you know, the, the best uh, interview we've ever had the privilege of doing. So um, really, really recommend you guys look back at that one. Okay, the 2021 draft. How confident do you – first question for the two of you, or I guess for all three of us. Do you have one player you are absolutely set, like you go to bed at night wishing the Red Wings get? And if not, is it two? And if not, how many players are in that mix for you? Because for me, I think I'm looking at three minimum. I'm happy. In the sense of, I really, really like these players and I have less reservations about other players with seven prospects in this draft. And then there's another two on top of that who I really like, but come with bigger question marks for me. So really, unless the wings go way off the board, I don't think I'm going to dislike their pick. Um, I could actually go to 10 because this is the one year I don't completely hate the goalie option still wouldn't do it still not a fan but i'm like not completely against it that being said if you how many players do i have like this is my guy for detroit if he's there beyond all shadow of a doubt within reason of him being there at six there's one guy and when we get to my rankings you'll you'll know it's no surprise i've been beating this pumping this guy's tires all year so it won't come as a surprise to anybody, but yeah, I have one guy that I am praying with eight to nine others that I'd be more than happy with. I have no idea who it could be, by the way. Actually? The, who Brad's talking about? I think yeah. I know who it is, but I'm not going to say it, but I'm actually <laughs> not sure. Brad, he really doesn't listen to you. I, I'm convinced he actually does not listen to you at all. No, he absolutely doesn't. Ryan, message who you think it is in the messenger chat just because I thought I made it obvious. I just want to be sure about this now. There's absolutely no – I guarantee Evan's going to read this and go, oh. Okay, no. yeah, right. I, I got your post. Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay good. I was wrong. <laughs> you know what? It does create for a more raw episode. Like he tunes into the parts that matter. But for sure, it's it's fun to engage with someone who is kind of like a casual listener. That's what we have as one of the hosts. Okay, so on Evan, who Evan thought it was, I, I'll give him partial credit because it is a guy I'm much higher uh, on in the top that's 10. That's how I got through university. Partial, <laughs> partial yeah, credit. So he's right that it, the guy he thought it was, I am higher on than most. But yeah, he's not the guy for me. All right. Uh, and Evan, how many players have you zeroed in on that you're kind of wishing the Red Wings end up with? Oh, man. Especially being at six. This is a good year because the 
the board can take some guys. The board can taketh and the board can giveth. Um, man, there's almost no one in the top 10 that I would be upset with. There's maybe one player who we'll probably get to at some point that I would be less than thrilled about uh, if the Red Wings take him. But man, almost anybody in the top 10, and like Brad said, even you know Jesper Wallstedt would I would be shocked. I would be very shocked, but I wouldn't be disappointed because he's so highly touted. So I'd say it's easy for me to say there's probably one guy in the con- the pundits consensus top 10 that I, I'm not overly keen about. All right. Well, we'll get to that. First, let's do an overview of what the Red Wings have to look forward to this draft before any trades or anything happen. Of course, the Red Wings own the sixth overall pick uh, in this year's draft. And believe it or not, that's as a result of them not moving down in the draft lottery for the first time. So uh, it's a win. Kind of. It's kind of like Evan getting through undergrad. He didn't fail, but it sure doesn't feel great. Um, Oh, man, it's storming in the background. Maybe that's a bad omen. Uh, the Red Wings have two first round picks, of course, six overall, and then the pick from Washington, which is 23rd overall, which is actually the 22nd player off the board because Arizona owns pick 11, which they forfeited due to, um, breaking the rules on prospect, uh, scouting and development or draft prospect scouting and development. Three picks in the second round, their own Edmontons uh, from the Andreas Athanasiu trade and New York's, which came from the Mark Stahl trade. Their two picks in the third round, their own the Vegas's pick. That is the last piece of the Tomas Tatar, t- Tomas Tatar deal. Thank you, Ken Holland, for that one. Uh, round four, they have two picks, their own pick, and Tampa Bay's that they got as part of moving uh, Savard to Tampa Bay uh, and facilitating that trade in this year's deadline. And two picks in round five, their own, and Ottawa's, which they got from Montreal in exchange for John Merrill. Uh, Hayden Verbeek also came over as part of that deal. And then one pick in round six. Uh, as well as uh, nothing in round seven. So that is quite a few picks for Detroit. That is two, five, seven, nine, eleven. That is a dozen picks in this draft. Do you guys imagine any trades? Yeah, I think statistically the odds just say with that many picks, there's going to be a trade up, a trade down. Uh, I mean, the reason they don't have a seventh round pick this year is because they swung a last minute deal uh, to get an extra pick in last year's draft to get Chase Bradley. So there's probably going to be something like that. I think they traded back twice last draft. So um, in this draft, trading back is probably a better strategy than a normal year. So I expect to probably see that once or twice from the Red Wings so we could end up with 13 14 picks here when is all said and done um yeah I, I don't think there's going to be a, a anything earth shattering I don't think we're getting an announcement uh the Detroit Red Wings have acquired the ninth overall pick for Tyler Bertuzzi or anything like that but um yeah I do expect there to be a few a couple more on trades to come let's get into it pick six here's the thing. Here's the theme of this draft. This isn't a Connor McDavid draft. This isn't an Austin Matthews draft. This isn't, you know, 
before we see this prospect pan out. This is an, uh, an Alexi Lafreniere or Quentin Byfield draft. There doesn't seem to be that elite number one center, elite number one defenseman. Even the consensus number one pick, those who have him as a clear-cut consensus, aren't even guaranteeing that he'll be a top-pairing defenseman. So in terms of top-end talent, the draft is more muted. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the Red Wings are working with any less at six overall. If you're a team at first or second overall, you might feel a bit cheesed that you're not getting you know, a possible generational talent. But once you get down to pick six, it kind of is what you would expect in most other drafts. So with that being said, uh, just offering that context, Brad, uh, as you've done a lot of legwork and a lot of additional draft content, um, let's add on to that pile. You start us off with your top 10 rankings for the 2021 NHL draft. And for clarity for the listeners, these are our top 10 rankings our own personal rankings. So this is de facto who we'd want Detroit to select if they're available in order. Uh, since I have done a lot of leg, leg work on this one and a lot of due diligence, I would kindly ask to defer to go third. All right, Evan, you ready? Yes, sir. All right. Is this for Detroit's pick? This is your top 10 rankings, period. So it's in effect. Why don't I go through, actually? I have mine prepared. Uh, I'm kind of itching to get at it. And then uh, we'll let Evan go first. So I I toyed with this one quite a bit. Um, I I wanted to see if I can break away from the consensus, but I did kind of fall in line with picks one and two. I did take Owen Power and Matthew Beneers. I think Owen Power, though not the perfect defenseman, you cannot pass up the the kind of physical package he has, the kind of skating he has with that package and what he would do directly for Detroit's needs. Um, a player of his caliber, I, I really only see him getting better um, as he learns to be more effective in using his physicality at the NHL level as well. Like, Is this going to be a guy that's going to be top line, uh, first power play unit, potting 30 goals a year or anything like that. No, but he can absolutely make a huge impact at both ends of the ice and to have a 6'6 defenseman that's able to do what he does. I don't see the Red Wings passing that up. Then again, I hardly see the Buffalo Sabres passing that up. Uh, second overall, I have Matthew Beniers. I did consider moving him down to third, but I think for the purpose of the Red Wings, this is probably the most complete centerman that they could ask for to come out of this draft. It's a shame because I don't think he's going to reach them, but to have a two-way centerman like Matthew Beniers that is as refined as he is, this is a guy where if you're adding more of a scoring touch or uh, more of an elusive and dynamic offensive element to his game, he is a bonafide number one overall pick. um, And it's not even a question. Obviously that's not the player he is completely, but he is, it is hard to to see a sentiment in this draft and say, yeah, that guy's definitely going to be a center. That's how Beniers projects to me. Third overall, and I think this is uh, where a lot of people's interest is going to be for the Red Wings at six in terms of realistic players to fall. I have William Eklund. Um, I give a lot of credit to Brad for this pick because he really kind of had me take a lot of second and third and fourth looks at him because I had him further down the list uh, below some of the other players I'm going to mention here. But in terms of, you know, I'm bad at making analogies with other sports, but there's a, what is it, a five-tool player for baseball or something to that effect? Yeah, five-tool player. That's that's the yeah. money line for baseball. Yeah, William Eklund does a lot of things really well. Not a lot of things, you know, elite, 
but he's not exactly deficient in a lot of areas and he's still getting better. And seeing his production in the SHL, um, it surpasses Alexander Holtz. It surpasses in terms of production rates. I'm pretty sure he came out ahead of Lucas Raymond, who we were thrilled with last year for the Red Wings. Um, this isn't a guy who I'm projecting is going to play center. That's been part of the appeal for him. Some people think he might be able to. I'm ranking him third as a winger. I think he could be that effective for the Red Wings forward core. Uh, number four, and this is a guy which I think he's probably my favorite player out of this draft just because he's the most fascinating to me. And he's also the biggest risk. So Matthew Beniers at second overall represents the most safe top end pick that you can make. The biggest risk to me is number four, Kent Johnson. I think he's the most skilled player in the draft. If this is a guy that improves his skating and develops more physically, which he is, you know, absolutely able to do, he's a guy who's still developing in that realm. If you talk to his coaches, uh, especially and teammates at Michigan, they say he's still coming along in that respect. Kent Johnson could be a massive, massive impact player. I don't think he's a complete swing and a miss. I don't see him completely falling out of the lineup if he doesn't pan out in those ways. But man, if he works out, the kind of things that he can do with the puck, the way he has a sense for the offensive zone, um, he can dish, he can score. Ken Johnson's an incredibly talented player. And if that skill translates, you're looking at probably the best player in the draft. Uh, number five is a guy who I was down on before, but kind of came back up my list is Brant Clark. Uh, the biggest hitch that I had with him was the hitch in his skating, literally. Um, yes, he's a right-handed defenseman and the Red Wings have more depth in that area than others. But Brant Clark, if he makes even a little bit more progress in terms of you know lower body strength and fixing that skating, uh, you're looking at a really fantastic defenseman, especially in the realm of where the Red Wings are picking. Positionally, is it exactly what they need? No, um, but the defensive core still needs work. It's not solved just because they have Cider, uh, Hronik, and you know this the litany of good, but we don't know how they'll end up uh, prospects coming in. Like they still need to build it out. So I'd be willing to forego the need for a lefty if a good enough right-handed defenseman was on the board, and Brent Clark might be there. Uh, another late riser for me, Mason McTavish. Centermen are valuable. The Red Wings do need a centerman. If this was a draft where there is clear-cut separation between tiers, between players, especially where the Red Wings are picking, I probably wouldn't give Mason McTavish's position this much credence, uh, this much value. But the reality is this is muddy. It's very fuzzy in terms of where players are ranked. And the fact that he is able to make an impact as a centerman like he has shown um, and probably projects as a, as a centerman, that puts him up the board for me. Um, he's a classic Eiserman pick. Works his absolute ass off. Um, does everything at both ends of the ice. Best skater in the world? No, absolutely not. And that'll be the biggest question with Mason McTavish. Luke Hughes is coming in at seven. Um, I struggle with Luke Hughes. I feel like that's the one player I wish we could have seen at the U18s. He he lacerated. Was it a lacerated tendon in his foot? Um and that took away a lot of opportunity to watch him, but phenomenal skater just went through a massive growth spurt. Um, extremely skilled. I don't think he has the playmaking vision that his brother does, but at the same time, I, I hesitate to discount Hughes because we've been burned. Hughes is because we've been burned in the past. Uh, Dylan Genther, I have at eight purely as a function of the players ahead of him. You could easily make a case for Genther at third or fourth, and I would not argue with him. Uh, incredibly skilled winger. Um, 
I don't project him as something that the Red Wings exactly need over the other guys, though. Uh, if they did go with him, the Red Wings would still get an, an amazingly skilled player. Number nine, and I really tried to find justification to uh, bring this player into the top six purely just to annoy Brad. That's Jesper Wallstedt. Um I talked about Ken Johnson as probably the most skilled player in this draft. Jesper Wallstedt might actually be the most talented player in this draft. And if you're saying, well, then why the hell is he, isn't he higher? It's the ramifications of taking a goalie in the top 10. That's a lot of risk. Um, scouting, development, projections, it's just not there with goaltenders uh, to, to speak with that much degree of confidence. The fact that he's that high really speaks to how good he is. He ha- plays such a technically sound, calm game. His puck tracking is phenomenal. People talk about, oh, he's not the most athletic goalie in the world. He doesn't really need to be. He's kind of always in the right place. Uh, if you can get that solid, steady goaltender of the future, I'm all for it. I genuinely mean it where if the Red Wings go with him at six, I am all for it. Um, I'm not concerned about the contract stuff. Steve Eisman is one of the most adept GMs in the NHL in terms of locking in players at the right time for the right contract. So I'm not worried about three, four, five years from now. This could be the goalie of the future. And if they take him, I'm not upset about it at all. And coming in at 10 is Chaz Lucius. Uh, again, another guy who could possibly play center for the, the Red Wings uh, coming out of the US NTDP. Um, he's not the world's best skater, uh, but I do really like his playmaking. Um, and I understand or like I really like how much he understands the offensive zone. I feel like he's able to pull the, pull the game to him, create space for the players around him. Uh, the way he plays the game plays like a center to me. So I think that he's smart enough to to fit in that slot whether skating will limit him in terms of how that translates to the nhl that remains to be seen but that's generally how i feel about Chaz lucius so that is my long-winded top 10 Ooh, at edvinson edvinson came in at 11 i bumped him out of the t- out of the top 10 very late i i mean it when i say these guys have been flip-flopping for a long time uh Chaz lucius got the center bump for me but Edmondson is very close. Um, I think mine starts a lot like yours. Uh, Owen Power, I've got number one. Um, I really like his game. I just don't see a, a world where he's not in the going to be picked as one of the top two players this draft. Um, number two, this is who I took for Seattle last night uh, in our mock draft, and that was Maddie Beniers. I think he's the most complete um centerman in this draft and you know what ufa centermen go for in the nhl it's it's a premium uh is say seattle would be wise to start uh their franchise with him as their top prospect um moving on from there willie mecklin i think he summed up exactly the reasons why i i think he'll go number three um supremely skilled uh and um anaheim could severely use that right now uh number four i had um i don't know where you had him but i had i had dylan genther at four i think he is a, a huge threat whether it be through his playmaking or scoring i know sample size was a little bit small this year but man i i really like his game and um just for me thinking BPA, I, I think he's the fourth best player in the draft at this point. Number five, I had 
I had Simon Edvinson. Um, this is where it kind of got tricky for me fight, because I had a fight, fight, fight. Who am I fighting? <laughs> Ryan. He had him outside of his top ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is where you know things for me really could be in any sort of shape. Like, do I think a Dylan Genther or a Sideman Edvinson or a Mason McTavish or a Chaz Lucius. Well, Chaz Lucius might be a little high for me at that rank, but I think there's so many guys you could start slotting in in these spots. Um, so the difference to me is very min- minuscule, but I had uh, Simon Edvinson here. Um, number six, I've got Kent Johnson. Uh, I think last night we summed it up very well. He's got a whole lot of upside, maybe the most in this draft. Um, but there's a little bit of risk taking him, but I, I think his game will turn in to uh to nhl level and i i think he will be an excellent player so i'm not too too worried about him at six and i i think he might be a decent pick for detroit at six i haven't completely sold myself on who i think they'll take yet uh number seven i've got luke hughes i still think like with his how good his skating is and i think his defensive game is decent if he finds some offensive flair at at the pro level, I think he will be a top four, potentially top two defenseman in the NHL. No problem. Um, he looks a little bit like Luke, um, his brother Quinn, just a little bit bigger. Um, I think he will be excellent at the NHL level. Number eight, Jesper Wallstedt. I contemplated putting him higher, but I have a very hard time, you know, changing between who I think team teams will take and who I think are the best players. I think Jesper Wallstedt's a top three player. I think he's one of the best goalies that we've seen in a long time. And in a draft where there's no consensus, well, there's a loose consensus number one and number two, I think he could be right up there. I, he's so athletic and so positionally sound. Man, is he, I think he's going to be an excellent goaltender in the NHL and and we'll be talking about where he goes in future years. Number nine, I have Mason McTavish. Um, I, I like his game a ton. I think there's a lot of offensive upside at the pro level. Um, and I don't see a world where he's going to fall outside of the top 10. And then number 10, I have Brant Clark. I love his skating a little. Um, I think there's still some work there, though. Um, uh, he was just another guy that I just didn't feel like I could keep outside of my top 10. So, um, he's who I put at number 10. I don't think I forgot anybody. No, you went top 10. A question for, before we get into Brad's rankings or maybe Brad, you'll want to No, Brad, you do your rankings first. And I I have a, uh, a couple comparison slash scenario questions for you guys. All right, so a little preamble before I get into my rankings, because obviously with this being a weird year, so many different factors going in, I myself trying to evolve as a prospect evaluator very unofficially, um, it, it was tough because I tend to favor forwards. I tend to favor high skill high hockey IQ. Like I I like the guys who can put points on the board traditionally. Um, 
I find I've always had a history of almost over, I don't want to say overrating, but putting preference to forwards because it's what I know. If there's any position in the game of hockey, I, I can be a quote unquote expert on based on my own experience. It would be forward. So I naturally gravitate towards them. Um, but obviously I've tried, uh, tried to make a greater appreciation uh, for defensemen, the defensive style of the game. These playoffs really showed to me the value of a player who can defend that isn't necessarily a, a high points guy. Uh, Philip Deneau, for one example, had a phenomenal playoffs, was tremendously effective. And one of the main reasons Montreal got to the cup finals and he scored one goal the entire playoffs. So I, I really, really tried to factor that in. So I wasn't putting a bias on myself because obviously there's a couple players in the top 10 who, who fit that description of the, you love everything about their game, but you wonder what the ultimate true upside is. Actually, people are having that argument at first overall right now. So, um, I really, really tried to take my own bias out of that this year so that I wouldn't just put, you know, the top five scorers in their leagues at, at one through five and then call it a day. So that's kind of the thought process behind uh, my rankings this year. Um, all that being said, at number one, I have no surprise, William Eklund. So all this stuff that I've tried to add to my repertoire, I can't get away from my base of upside. He's a, a fight. You use the term five tool player as an analogy. And that's actually, I never registered that metaphor in my mind, but that's a great analogy for William Eklund. He plays with pace. He's got a high skill level. He's got a very high hockey IQ. He's got a very high compete level, and he is capable in all three zones. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, about his game I don't like. Because of his skill level, and especially because of his hockey IQ, I think his ceiling is much higher than he's given credit for. We've said on this podcast, throughout the course of this year, if Lucas Raymond was in this draft, we would take him first overall. Eklund outproduced Lucas Raymond in the same league. He was playing top line minutes on a men's, like a one of the on a men's team in one of the best leagues in the world, and he was doing it well. And that was with missing the World Juniors due to COVID. So he had his obstacles this year. He did not have a smooth ride this year, despite the SHL running all year. Um, the one thing I also wanted to make sure of my rankings is when it came down to a tiebreaker or I was kind of flip-flopping on guys, I, I put myself in Steve Eisenman's shoes. What do the Red Wings value? Speed, hockey IQ, compete, and skill. Check, 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 check. William Eklund is exactly the type of players the Red Wings are trying to acquire. Um I have more faith in him being a center than I think most people. I don't, if I'm drafting him at one as a winger, I'm still doing it. So don't take this as, oh, I'm picking him at one because I think he can be a center. He was a center for most of his life and he possesses all the tools to be a center. Um, though his top end skating isn't elite, he is so good on his edges and he plays the game so fast that I don't think that's going to matter all that much to him. So... When it ultimately came down to who was I going to put at number one, there's one player in this draft who I don't really have any 
question marks for around their game. And I love every aspect or at least like every aspect of their game. And it was William Eklund. So once I, I really put that into context in my own head, I'm like, I can't not put him at one. He is the player I like the most. That being said, number two, obviously I have Owen Power. Now, I understand that if everything goes right for Owen Power, his ceiling is probably as high, if not higher, than William Eklund's in a different way, just because he's a six foot five defenseman who can skate. He's got a great transition game, good hockey IQ, and, you know, again, can play in all three zones. The difference between him and Eklund for me is I, what I've seen so far from him is None of the three zones are especially elite for him. Now, it's hard to say because he's a freshman playing in the NCAA. So under that context, he had a phenomenal season. And his raw tool package is so unbelievably rare to find that I understand the appeal. And if the Red Wings were picking one and they picked Owen Power instead of Willie Mecklin, I'm not I'm not upset. I get it. Um you know, I don't really need to get into too much detail about what makes Owen Power special because everybody's been beating it to death all year and justifiably so. I just, there's more questions to his game for me than I would like. Um, but I, I don't think they're super huge concerns. He's going to play. It's just, is he Victor Hedman? Is he Ryan Suter? Is he a little less? All three are probably equal possibilities at this point because of the skill set he possesses. Uh, number three, one of my preambles, uh, I had him lower on my rankings. Um, and over the last couple of days, I kind of changed it is Matt Beneers. I don't love his offensive upside. I, I, th- I actually don't, I don't love it, but I actually think people sell it short at the same time because he doesn't score flashy goals, but he's effective. He doesn't make the flashy plays that a Kent Johnson or a William Eklund are capable of doing, but he finds the simple play to make and he does it and he does it well and he does it fast. He's got a high processing power combined with incredible speed and he is probably the only surefire bet at center in this entire draft. Um, I don't draft for positional need, never have, never will, but... I know NHL teams are going to factor that in when this draft. And again, I don't think Beneers gets to three, but yeah, he's, he checks all the boxes just without the supremely high skill level. Number four, I've got a run of university of Michigan players, three in a row, Kent Johnson. Anybody who listened to the mock draft Wednesday night, I, I did a lot of my talking on it there. Cause this is who I selected for the Detroit Red Wings in the mock draft. Maybe not the highest upside in this draft because I think what Ek- the combination of everything Eklund has and can do and the combination of power of everything power can do is higher than Johnson's skill set on its own because they have some of the other aspects that he doesn't have. Uh, but like if you're just talking pure talent, Johnson is the guy in this draft i've seen him score lacrosse goal while receiving a pass all in one motion and i i can't even begin to process how that's possible that is that is one of the most incredible goals i ever scored and uh, i ever seen scored and he did that as a 17 year old in the bchl and then he came to the ncaa as a freshman and put up huge numbers despite being uh built like a flagpole i mean most players his age can put on a lot of mass and a lot of muscle. So I'm not 
super concerned about how skinny he is. He'll he'll get bigger, especially considering he's six one. So he, he's got the frame to work with. Um, my concern is is his pace going to pick up for the NHL level? That's it. That's my big concern. It's a valid concern, hence why he's not number one or two for me, because uh, I think Power and Eklund can play, and Beneers even can play at a pace, and I have zero doubts that they can do that at the NHL level. Johnson, that's where that question mark starts to creep in, because he does play fast. He doesn't play slow, but he doesn't play as fast as those other guys. So it's I have to factor it in, even though the stuff he can do on the ice are like no other player in this draft. All right, so number five in my rankings, I want to preface this ranking by saying I never rank based on positional need. These are always just the best players in my mind. If you want to make a selection based on a team in any given spot, factoring in positional need as a tiebreaker, sure, but I am going by best player, the player whose overall skill set I determined to be this ranking. Number five for me is Mason McTavish. Um. My big concern all year on him was the skating. That was it, but that's a major concern. It's why I haven't mentioned Brent Clark yet. Um, but he is so good at every other aspect of the game of hockey. He walked into the U18s, a team he wasn't supposed to be the guy on or even one of the guys. Um, and he, he led that team uh, when Shane Wright wasn't playing. He was the guy on that team. Uh, even wore the C when Shane Wright wasn't playing. Um, elite shot, elite compete, elite hockey IQ, plays so well in the dirty areas. I don't want to say skating gets overrated uh, for forwards because it obviously is important. And McTavish isn't exceptionally slow. He's just not exceptionally fast. He's average. But you look at the NHL these days, there are a lot of guys who are super effective in a lot of the same ways McTavish is. The Kachuk brothers, Ryan O'Reilly, Sean Couturier. Not, not that these are all exactly one-to-one skill set comparisons, but these are all guys who I would argue are below average NHL skaters. Um, and they are all supremely effective. So I, I, I bump McTavish up a couple spots just because I like every other aspect of his game so much that I think it'll translate to the NHL and it'll translate well. And the fact that he likely projects as a center is just a bonus. So take that for what it's worth. Number six, Dylan Genther. His under 18s admittedly underwhelmed me. Um, So there might be a bit of recency bias here because he's a complete player. Jack, the, the phrase Jack of all trades, master of none kind of fits here. I'd say his shot's about the only aspect of his game that's truly elite, but everything is above average. His compete, his skating, his hands, his IQ. He's a really, really damn good hockey player, and he's he's almost certainly going to be a top six forward in the NHL, but is he going to be the second best out of the top six forwards on the team or the sixth best of the top six forwards on a team? I don't know, um, and I could see a reality where there's a lot of variance there, so... It kind of kept me from bumping him up higher than I initially wanted to. But either way, he's my sixth-ranked player. So if the draft goes by my board, he's the one the Red Wings get. And I'd be more than happy with that if that was the case. Number seven, Brant Clark. Holy shit, does his skating scare me? I can't. 
I can't get past it. He's he's quicker than his stride looks, but his stride is so fundamentally bad that I have serious concerns if he's ever going to get faster than he already is. Because skating is not a skill that generally gets improved when they get to the NHL. Not dramatically, anyway. All these conversations about, oh yeah, if this guy's skating improves, he's elite... I did a bit of research and went back and took a look at like a dozen guys who that was the knock on and people were saying the same thing. None of them, the skating improved all that much. So I I'm putting Clark at seven for the player. He is not the player that he could be changed into, but he's the best offensive defenseman in this draft. Full stop. No doubt about it. The best power play quarterback, the most skilled, but the NHL's fast. <laughs> And he's got to be able to defend. And if guys are just blowing past him wide and he's losing every race to every puck in his own zone, he could be a nightmare defensively. I think there'll be a role for him in the NHL either way. It wouldn't shock me if he's a number one power play guy and the number six even strength guy on a team. I think that's a a realistic reality for him. Given his skill set, I think he'll slot higher in the lineup than that. But that possibility does scare me a bit, which prevented me from putting him in my top five, even though I really wanted to. Number eight, Luke Hughes. As we talked about in our prospect profile, I still don't fully know what to make of him. Uh, Him missing out on the U18 sucked because I was hoping that would contextualize everything for me and I never got that chance. The tools are there. Elite skater. He's bigger than his brothers. He's got good hands. Um, I I have questions about his decision-making. I have at least some questions about a couple aspects of his game in all three zones. Too many question marks for me and too big a question mark to really bump him up because my top seven guys, the one thing they all have in common is I don't question their hockey IQ. This is the first guy in my ranking I do. I could be wrong about it because like I said, I wanted to contextualize everything. Didn't really get that chance on a premium stage, but I could see that going either way. So... Number eight for me. Number nine, I thought I was going to be low on him until Ryan dropped the bombshell and put him out of his top 10. I'm still going to put Simon Edmondson in in my top 10. If he hits, he hits. If he misses, he misses. I have serious concerns about his pace of play. And he's big enough that he can make it work with a super high hockey IQ. Like Victor Hedman doesn't play exceptionally fast, but he's huge and he's got high hockey IQ, so he doesn't need to. That is a possibility with Edvinson. Not to the same level as Hedman, but in that direction. However, that's a really damn big ask for someone to do in the NHL. Um, He's a good skater, and I really wish he would use it more because he skates fast, but he doesn't play fast. And that frustrates the ever-living hell out of me every time I watch him. Every time I watch him, he leaves me wanting. He, You see the flashes. You see what everybody's talking about. I just don't see it nearly enough. And a lot of his deficiencies are really... He's really going to struggle when translating to the next level. And honestly, for a guy who's billed as an offensive defenseman, his production sucked this year at every level. So relative to where a top 10 pick should be. So uh, if, if Hawkeye Anderson sits here and picks him at six and believes in him, I'll believe in him because I trust a way more than me, but God damn, do I, do I worry about him? 
Number 10, Jesper Wallstead. I, I couldn't. He's he's too good. I, I I will never advocate for picking him at six. I won't. I won't be devastated if we do. I get it. The contract stuff aside, I don't base my rankings on all that stuff. That comes later. He's a goalie, man. Goalies are voodoo. We've seen so many first-round goalies flame out. If you pick a goalie at six and he flames out, that sets your rebuild back a year. Honestly, it sounds dramatic, but it does. When you're this, when you are this bad as a team, you can't miss at six overall. If you pick a guy who you think is going to be a number one C, but he turns into a second line winger, fine. That is still a move in a positive direction. If you draft a goalie and he never plays a fucking game for you, you blew it. You're toast. Um, so, but from a skill level standpoint, who he is as a goalie, who he is as a prospect right now, he's elite. We, I've talked at length about him just reading the play so phenomenally well. You don't see him making those acrobatic saves all that often because he doesn't have to. The knock against him is that he doesn't quite have that elite athleticism and that lateral movement that you see out of like the Tim Thomases of the world. But so many pucks hit him in the chest because he's always in the right spot. You don't, he doesn't need to make those saves. It's, it's the carry price effect. You just, he makes it look easy, almost concerningly easy at points. Um, he is an overager for this draft for what that's worth. He's a late 02. So it's kind of harder to compare him to Spencer Knight and Askarov because they were 17 when they were drafted. He's 18. So you do have to factor in that extra year, but he was a top end prospect at 17. So none of what happened this year is surprising and he didn't come out of nowhere. Again, would I advocate for drafting him six? No, that is a level of risk that I am not willing to take if I'm the GM of the Detroit Red Wings. But if they do it, I fully understand it. There, there's my top 10. All right. Top 10. And you want to know what? Look at this. Nine months in the making. (laughs) Look at this grouping. I think we named eight players in our collective top sixes. That's pretty good considering how wide open this is. So we named Power, Beneers, Eklund, Genther, Edmondson, Johnson, uh, McTavish, Clark. Yeah, that's it. That was eight, right? Yeah. That's- uh, I, think the only, I think the only true variance in our top 10 was you had Lucius in, Edmondson out, Evan and I had the inverse. So I want to talk to you guys about two things with my rankings. The spots where I acknowledge I took the biggest risks and will make or break how, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to be the most glaringly obvious points if I get things dead wrong is, is Kent Johnson and Simon Edmondson because I made inverse decisions on them based on the same parameters and that's risk. I tried for the sake of rankings to say, yeah, I think this, this player will translate to some degree or is worth the risk and this player isn't. I talked about the justification with Kent Johnson, but I feel like with Simon Edmondson, I should suggest it a little bit more or I should uh, elaborate a little bit more. His decision making, his pace is, yeah, a concern. I can't shake the fact that the pace is as a result of the decision making. Brad, you mentioned that the hockey IQ would have to carry you. I'm worried it's just not there at a level where it can. And and you touched on that, right? So that's why I'm lower than the consensus as well. If this guy hits, he should easily be top four. And you can, you can swap him with Kent Johnson very easily. And that's silly to say for my rankings. Oh yeah. Switch four and 11 
but that's that's genuinely how tight it feels. So much of the top 10, top 11, top whatever is dictated by risk. So when you see me put Simon Edmondson at 11, I, I, I can't even say confidently that he'd be the 11th best player out of this draft. That's never how drafts shake out, but for the sake of the exercise, it's that based on the risk, I would probably probably take 10 players before him if I'm the Red Wings, just because I'm not sure that Edmondson will pan out. But you know what? Someone could make the exact same argument for, argument for Kent Johnson, and I couldn't tell them that they're wrong. If this draft was... If I made my rankings entirely on upside, it wouldn't look like it did. You have to balance the risk. Do I uh, guys like Eklund and Power? There's not a lot of risk. Everything about their games is going to translate well to the NHL. The only question is to what level. Edmondson, a guy like Edmondson, there's a reality. He is a bottom pairing defenseman in the NHL. If and probably not much of a factor. Like, that's a realistic possibility. But if he hits, oh, man, does he hit? There's, I could probably go a bunch of players on my rankings behind him who I think are less risky but don't come close to his upside, which is why I still put him ahead of them. Because, yeah, if he hits, it's not going to be a small hit. Like, this is the... uh overused term this is the swinging for the fences pick if someone makes it because he's huge skates well and he's decent like he's got skill so if that all gets put together in a left-handed defenseman cha-ching but yeah the the pace and the hockey iq are two pretty goddamn big question marks okay i have some prompts here i have some questions that i want to bring up Relevant to Detroit, Mason McTavish, is centerman version of Tyler Bertuzzi, or I, I guess souped up version of Tyler Bertuzzi to steal a term from, from Max. Not exactly in playing style, but when you consider the qualities he brings to the team in terms of his effort, his willingness to get into dirty areas and play a physical game and drive offense or generate offense that way. Is that a fair assessment? And is that does that make him more attractive to the Red Wings and Red Wings fans? I think the Bertuzzi and McTavish comparables is more an intangibles comparison. The the compete and the willingness to go to the dirty areas, yes, absolutely. Bertuzzi's a complimentary player. He can play off of the Larkins and the Zadinas of the world, can get to the right spot, clean up the rebounds, win the board battles, you know, tip the pucks in. He's that guy. McTavish drives play. When the puck's on his stick, he's looking to make something happen. He can make a skill play through a player. He can make a tough seam pass. He can. He has a shot that's light years better than Bertuzzi's. He can beat a goalie from distance. And and honestly, I just think he's, in terms of hockey, he was a smarter player than Tyler Bertuzzi, at least relative to age. Um, so so the intangibles is a very good comparison, but the tangibles, I think they're very different players other players that Detroit might take is there a discussion to be had so obviously Eklund seems to be the favorite across the three of us in terms of who's most likely we don't think power or Beniers will likely drop based on how things are kind of coming along how do you guys feel about the risk with Kent Johnson I'm fine where are you (laughs) okay let's say they take Kent Johnson (laughs) 
They take Kent Johnson and they leave McTavish on the board. I know based on rankings, you know, Evan would be okay with that. Um, Brad, you had McTavish right behind Kent Johnson. McTavish is a little bit more of a sure bet in my mind in terms of what you're going to get as an NHL product, but Ken Johnson's ceiling far outpaces his. So you feel if, if it comes to the Red Wings pick and both Johnson and McTavish are, the, are on the board, you're clamoring for Johnson? I'm not clamoring. I, I mean, these guys are separated by a hair, but if it were my decision, yes, I would take Johnson. It's harder to get a player like Kent Johnson. Players with his skill level, his vision, there's not many. They are they are rare. You know, there's not many Nicholas Backstroms, Trevor Zegris. There's there's so few of them in the world. Not that McTavish is isn't also hard to find, obviously being a center, but there's enough players like him in the NHL. Just I don't think most of those players are going to do it as well as he does. Um, hence why he's fifth in my rankings. Um, I'm not going to be upset. Like if if they're both available in the Red Wings, take McTavish. I'm not batting an eye. I'm not shedding a tear. I'm not throwing out a complaint. Five years if Ken Johnson's popping off for 100 points and McTavish is a number two. See, I'll throw the complaints out then, but I don't think that's entirely likely either direction. So, um, yeah, I just it's an upside thing for me. I mean, it, like I said, if Johnson hits. There's a reality here. He's an 80, 90 point player and there's not many, there's two players in this draft. I, I can say that about two, him and Eklund. I don't think anybody else in this draft has that kind of offensive upside. That all being said, we've talked about what do the Red Wings look for in a player with their quote unquote, you know, scouting guidelines. I think McTavish checks more boxes, um, but you know, it's. I'm not Iserman. I <laughs> I get to make my own rankings. <laughs> All right. So between the three of us, let's make a prediction. Those were our rankings. Let's make a prediction as to what will actually happen on draft day. Just name the one player who you think will end up on the Red Wings. So you are both implicitly uh, predicting who's going to go top five. You don't have to bother listing all that. And then deciding for Steve Eisman what player you think will be selected. So – well, this is your official prediction. Who you think, so, not who you want, who you think will end up as a Red Wing at pick six. Am, am I allowed to talk through this? Because I'm still not fully sold on what each team is going to do. Not you get a very limited time window. You get less than Evans' golf allotment per episode. All right, so I got I got a minute. Okay, so let's assume that everybody's right. Power Beniers go one two, which I don't think either is a guarantee. Let's be clear, but those seem pretty good. I'd be surprised if the Devils passed on Luke Hughes. Not that he's not a justified pick at four, but the connection with his brother, I think, is good. Anaheim and Columbus are the wild cards. I have not really seen any tangible links to Anaheim. I've heard McTavish and Edvinson to Columbus, but that's Yarmo. So that could be Wallstedt for all we know. That could be Corson Kuhlman's for all we know. But Yarmo ain't afraid to do whatever the hell he pleases. I could see Anaheim going Genther or Eklund or Edvinson. I don't know. My The way this is shaking down, I've got a gut feeling McTavish is going to be gone before the Red Wings pick. As much as I want to say, I don't... Th- my gut's telling me he's not going to be there. I've kind of heard Genther to Anaheim. I've heard they like him and Edvinson. So if Edvinson goes there, I, I think McTavish... McTavish goes to Columbus. 
If Genther goes there, I could see McTavish or Edvinson going to Columbus. This feels pie in the sky to me. I think it's going to be Eklund. And I'll do a backflip. If we get my number one rated guy at six, like you won't be able to wipe the smile off my face for a week. Um, Brad, we haven't been able to wipe the smile off your face for six and a half years. Yeah, fair. <laughs> like, it seems insane to me because, like, I can't picture Eklund in my mind getting past Anaheim. I can't. But I, he, I've i seen zero connection to him in Anaheim. I've actually seen a connection to him in Buffalo. So right now, it might be more luck- likely he actually does go one, then three. Then again... Buffalo might end up with the third pick. Apparently, the Ducks are in a cycle, so maybe they get both. I I don't know. If it's Anaheim picking at three, I think the Red Wings end up with Eklund. If it's the Sabres picking at three, I think the Red Wings end up with Genther. All right, Evan, your prediction for who the Red Wings, what single player will they end up with at six overall? I'll let you know that that is more time than I get to talk about golf. <laughs> we'll make it up to you on a future episode. Perfect, because this week is the British Open. Oh man, actually I'm I, I'm into that too. So. There's Bryson drama today too. Oh yeah, that's it was, okay. We have to. It's it's the driver's fault. If he's allowed to blame his driver, I'm allowed to blame my hockey stick. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll triple your golf allotment next episode, Evan. Oh, but for now, perfect. Six that counted things. as thirty seconds of it. Oh <laughs> damn it! Um, really, how I sort of see it shaking out is I think Owen Power will be off the board. Beniers will be off the board. Eklund will be off the board. That is my certainty, and that's sort of where it ends. Um, maybe not, you know, one, two, three, but before Detroit picks. Um, I just have a feeling they're really going to like Mason McTavish, so that's who I'm going to take. Like, he's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. Uh, he could do a little bit of everything. He could maybe play center at the NHL level. Um I don't know what what there's not to like about him at six, and I, I just feel like Detroit will like that. I am going to agree with Evan here. I understand your rationale, Brad. I genuinely think, though, that for a guy that's been so closely linked to the team drafting first overall in Eklund, that one way or another, he won't be on the board. I think the Red Wings are going to be picking between probably – um, McTavish, Kent Johnson, and then one of Genther or Edvinson. And I think they'll go with the centerman. I, I just think there's too much need for the Red Wings to ignore that. The Red Wings reached hard to grab Moritz Sider because they were desperate, desperate in terms of top end defensemen. So this is a team that understands what they need to do in their rebuild. This is a team that needs players who can almost immediately fill into those roles. Uh, McTavish won't be in the minors for terribly long in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I think it'll be McTavish on the board. And I think that is, you know, partially because of who he is as a player and how good he is in the position and partially because Edvin or uh, because Eklund won't be there. I think they like Kent Johnson, but I think McTavish will get the risk or get the edge because of the uh, playing the center position. This is the draft. That we said is so close, it wouldn't be egregious if teams picked based on positional need. And honestly, teams do that, and they've done that in the past, even if they don't admit it. 
There might be a team in this draft that's more center needy than the Red Wings. And they pick at five. Again, I am not convinced McTavish makes it to the Red Wings. I think if he's there, I think that's the pick. That's that's the vibe I'm getting. Um, I got a gut feeling if if Edvinson's gone, Yarmo's going to do it. I think Yarmo might even do it if Edvinson is still there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Columbus is we 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 are needy at center in terms of high end centers, but at least we can sit there and say we have Larkin, we have Rasmussen, we have Valeno, we we have options that are young. Columbus, not so much. So, if any team is picking a center out of absolute positional need, it's happening before Detroit. I'm going to do something stupid here. I'm going to try to predict what Steve Eisman is thinking. Uh, I we highly recommend that you don't try this at home. This is advised against by all doctors. We have to have a special license to do it, and it will inevitably end up in failure. This is pure gut feeling. Haven't heard anything. This is nothing solid. So there's no sources here or anything. I think McTavish is well in play for the Red Wings based on how he fits their profile of who they're looking for, what they need. I think Eklund, obviously, for the reasons Brad mentioned. And this isn't an exclusive list. I can't shake that they – I can't shake the Jesper Wallstedt thing. I really can't. I don't I, – I, I wouldn't call him the most likely pick, but – if you know the Red Wings have a pool of players, he's in the final group. I that's just my that's just what I think about it. The Petrozelli, though that hasn't been officially confirmed, still that can't have helped things at all. I don't think it's going to sway them one way or another. But the goaltending is a massive, massive gap for this team. If they believe in him, if Hakan Anderson believes in him, he's in Sweden and says, "Hey, this guy's a real deal," man. I just I think he's in the fold for Detroit. He should be. He's that good. Again, I wouldn't do it and I don't advocate it. I know we can't ever I know Steve Eisenman has told us never read into anything he says, but that comment he had about not having a goalie in his top ten, that was kind of a throwaway comment off the cuff. I I, I tend to believe him. Because it didn't feel like a calculated statement. It just kind of was something like an add-on to another statement. So that almost makes it more believable to me. Even though I'm directly doing everything we've said all year not to do. I don't know. When I look at the players in the top 10, and, and we know the Red Wings have a type. They don't always stick exactly to this type. But we know they like fast, hockey IQ, compete. And fast doesn't necessarily mean skating. Playing fast would qualify. Who fits Who fits the bill of what the Red Wings would want out of the top 10 prospects? Power fits the bill. Beneers fits the bill. Eklund fits the bill. McTavish. Genther. That's it. Those are the only ones I can say with confidence. Everybody else has one of those boxes being a pretty big question mark. So, if you want to look at the Red Wings' history as to what type of players they like and kind of try to fit a profile, those... Uh, so, let's just assume Power and Beneers aren't going to be there. Eklund, McTavish, Genther are, are the guys who check the boxes. So, 
I, I would almost certainly bet one of them is going to be there. And if it's only one of them, that might make it easier for them. But there's a good chance multiple are there for them. And then that might create an interesting debate. Now, that being said, if they have more confidence in the hockey IQ, now we can add Hughes and Edvinson to this as well. You know, we're three idiots um, at home saying, ah, oh, Luke Hughes, hockey IQ. We don't know shit. They, they probably know more than I do. So if they think they have the hockey IQ, that's two more guys you can add to the possibility. I don't think they're going to like Brant Clark skating at all. I don't think they're going to love Ken Johnson's compete or his pace. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't want to go so far as to say I'd be surprised if they took either of them just because those two guys are so good. But they're less likely in my mind to actually be the pick. All right. That is a lot of analysis on the top six pick or the six overall pick, the top 10 in general, what the teams around them might do. Let's chat a little bit about what might happen at 23rd overall, which is, again, the 22nd player off the board. The obvious answer to this question is whatever player in the top 10 happens to slip for one reason or another or whatever player that's close enough. But I guess the the question is here, who's realistic to think about in terms of who might slip barring something crazy happening? And what are some best case scenarios? Uh, I know a name that has come to mind in the past has been Fedor Svechkov, but it almost seems like he's going too high. He's going to go too high based on who he is as a player. After his U18s, I'll be shocked if he's there at 23. I, I think he's gone in the top 15. I don't think he's getting past 20. But thanks to a conversation we had with our friend Scott Wheeler before we hit the record button, uh, before we interviewed him, and then which he followed up by putting in uh, one of his most recent articles, we have a connection uh, to the Red Wings and a player who is going to likely be available around pick 23. Francesco Pinelli, um, a centerman, high hockey IQ, high compete, questions about skating. I, I, We see him in Kitchener. I have him ranked right around this range. I really like Francesco Pinelli as a player. If he's the pick there, I'm thrilled. Um, based on where I have him in my rankings, there's probably going to be at least one, two, three players ahead of him that I would prefer, but perfectly justifiable. I think if the Red Wings do end up taking a winger in, or, a, or a defenseman in the top 10, they are going to try for a center here. I don't think Svechkov gets there, and there's not a lot of other options. So if Pinelli's there, he might be the quote-unquote default center, even though a lot of people aren't sold <laughs> on him as a centerman. But the thing with Pinelli is he doesn't check the speed box the Red Wings look for. This guy is one of the smartest players in the draft and he is super competitive and he is always in the right spot. Just it's, he had a very quiet U18s to the eye test. He was like third on Canada in scoring. Like he outscored guys like Genther and other star players. Like he just, yeah. he just gets it done. Um, I view Pinelli so- as a guy who has similar profiles in terms of what the risk is to players around the top 10. And if he does make an NHL roster, I think he could have a top 10, top 10 impact in terms of like, you know, where he comes retroactively ranked in this draft. So 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, Brad. I think this is a guy where, of course, there's a risk because of that skating, but in terms of what he can turn into offensively, I'm not banking on center here, but productive winger. Yeah, absolutely. And if he somehow turns into a center, then great. That He's a guy who I'm not comfortable with at six overall, obviously, but 23rd. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy with, with taking a swing there. Yeah, and other guys that I probably will call attention to, just my personal favorites who I think will be there at 22, because obviously it's easy for me to sit here and say, Svechkov, obviously, I don't think he's going to make it that far. The guys I think are going to be there at 22 that I want the Red Wings to take a long, hard look at, regardless of who they take at pick six. I'm I'm a huge Logan Stankovin fan. I have him 14th. I, I think there's a chance he gets to the second round, but if he's sitting there at 22, I would absolutely take the swing on him. I love, I like Sasha Pastajov, but I, I think you can maybe take a calculated risk to see if he waits it out till pick 38. I think that's a possibility. Um, Brennan Othman, I think, might still be there, and, and he checks a lot of boxes for what the Red Wings need. And then outside chance, Lambos gets there. I don't think it's super likely. And then, you know, you might be looking at a decision between uh, Atu, Ratu, Pinelli, Rosen, guys like that. Um, looking at my top 22 ranking, there's going to be somebody I love available at that pick. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but I, I think they're going to walk away with a really good goddamn player there unless they do something stupid. Evan, who are some of your favorites? hoping that you hope follow or you hope the ratings reach for even if you want a little bit of nostalgia how about add to ratty ratu ratty rat ratu but you say ratty and you kind of seem determined so we'll let you have it okay thank you i i'm still not man he has fallen down the draft board after he was pretty much the consensus number one pick maybe 365 days ago um I think there's still a lot to his game and depending on who's there at 20 to 25, um, he could be a very interesting prospect. And I still think there's a lot of potential in his game to, to get to the NHL level. Um, you guys have covered a lot of the guys I had on my list in that area. Uh, the one I don't think is there, but would maybe satisfy everyone would be if uh, Sebastian Casa is still there. <laughs> <laughs> because then we get we get who we want at six and then the goaltending conversation is finally put to rest so from a mental standpoint a mental wellness standpoint that would maybe be the best uh but i like logan stankovin too and i've seen him kind of all over the board um and he could be a very good value pick at 23 um Fedor Svechkov, you guys, we talked to him about him very recently, one of our pro, uh, prospect profiles. I think he's one of the best two-way centers in this draft. I don't think he'll be there, but if he is, I will be running to Detroit or to the draft to make the pick. Um, <laughs> You're that close to Stevie. Yes. Yes, we're on speed dial. Um, yeah, there's. you guys kind of nailed it. Pinelli, Lambos would be a good pick in my opinion as well. Um. Yeah, that kind of fills the the list of where uh, guys I'd ha- I'd be earmarking at twenty three. How much does the positionality of the player drafted first overall, or sorry, first overall, six overall, 
affect Detroit's game plan in your head for 23rd? It doesn't. Honestly. Not at all? I think not. No. The, the, you look at the players in this draft, I don't think there's going to be a player available who's even going to sniff the Red Wings for two more years. So you'll have two more drafts to address that need. Probably higher picks than this. So if, if they end up with two wingers here, cool. Take a center next year with your top 10, like if, if you absolutely have to. Um, we don't know what the Red Wings are going to look like three years from now. There's one player under contract on the Red Wings for that season right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I think if you're picking sixth overall, most of those guys are going to be one more year in college, AHL, junior, whatever you want to call it. And then they have a, a chance to make the Red Wings. That will not be the case at 22. So just pick a guy. Pick pick your guy. Position be damned. If you end up with 12 wingers out of this draft, cool. Solve the center and the def- left defense problem next draft. Then just we don't know what the team's going to look like by the time these guys play. Who are some of your absolutely do not draft these guys in the first round? And that's either pick six or pick 23. Okay. Six? Wallstead. No. <laughs> you couldn't help it, eh? No, I couldn't. I, I don't really have a do not draft because my top 10, including Wallstead, like I said, I think are all very reasonable at six. And Eiserman's <laughs> not afraid to go against the consensus but I don't think there's a lot of guys outside of the top 10 that are going to get consideration there. Um, so basically everybody on my list beyond Wallstep probably is in that requirement for me. Um, I don't know. I'm just looking down at lower in my rankings of guys who are I'm seeing get first round consideration that I am definitely not in first round consideration for. So just going to rhyme through some names here. Kirill Kirasanov, really safe pick. Don't love the upside there. Stanislav Sfozil, don't see the upside there. Daniil Chayka, huge risk. Don't know if I want to be the one to gamble on that. Other than that, I think there's a lot of reasonable options there like those three guys i mentioned i wouldn't take them in the first round but i think they're all perfectly legitimate second round options and if we took them in the second round i'm not going to bat an eye at it but those are the the three that i've seen hover around the 20s in most rankings and i i would advise against it detroit's in a unique position with pick 23 because they have a lot of picks behind it with some good weight i mean they have three second round picks multiple picks in the rounds after that they have the tools and they have the resources to move up generally trading back is advisable for maximizing the amount of picks that you're going to make uh especially in a draft where you have to add a lot of good players but let's say svechkov is sliding to 17 or 18 you think the team at 19 is going to take him? And this is a pure hypothetical. I'm not even looking at who's drafting there. Do you trade, you know, an additional second round pick as well as pick 23 to move up? Are there trade scenarios? This is part of a broader question. Are there trade scenarios even outside of this Svechkov hypothetical where you guys think that the Red Wings should or would do so this year? Is there hypotheticals? Yes. Are they likely? No. 
I love Svechkov. I have him very high on my rankings, which I'll go through the rankings later. But looking quickly, I have him at 13. He'd have to fall five spots. That's not crazy. I don't think there's that big a gap between a guy like Svechkov and a guy like Ratu or Pinelli to justify giving up a good asset for. If Svechkov falls to like 20 and you can use like a third rounder to move up, sure, third rounders are not all that likely to turn into NHLers and you have 12th. I just, the first five picks, I don't want to see them throw away to trade up. I would use them maybe for a trade back, but I I think the two firsts and the three seconds, they have to make those picks. Um, Whether it's at that exact spot or not, they need to make five picks in the first two rounds. But um, just because they're, they have so many holes in this organization, so many. Um, But yeah, no, the, the only way I'm, I'm throwing a premium asset to trade up is if, God, none of the top nine guys are going to fall if a Wallstead or a Lucius or a Sillinger starts going down. Maybe, maybe then you consider it. But again, I just looking at my rankings here, picks 11 to shit. 29 shit. Yeah, picks 11 to 29, I don't think there's all that significant of a gap. Obviously, there's a gap, but it's not dramatic. And then you factor in the uncertainty of this year. Yeah, I don't I don't think this is the draft worth trading up for in at all, unless there's a guy in like the third round that you're like, fuck it, he's the next brain point. Pardon my French, but let's go. We'll kick in two fifth round picks. Who cares? You named all like I think including Sveshkov, you named four guys. Oh, actually, you named three of the four guys who I would actually consider moving up for. I never thought I'd say that. Um Svechkov, Lucius, I think based on where I have him ranked and what I think he can do, possibly at the center position. Cole Sillinger is not a player that we've talked about, and I can't decide whether he's he's gonna move way up the board or way down the board, but I have a feeling he'll be one of the two. And to pick up a shooter like him, a guy with that kind of shot, um, what he did in the USHL and the way he demonstrated his shooting ability across the board, incredible. And I would absolutely feel okay with giving up some assets to move up to get him. Um, so Svechkov, Lucius, Sillinger, Sebastian Kosa. Breaking it down, spending a first and a second on a goalie, yeah, not great asset management. But if somehow it's not a first and a second, it's just that first and something a little bit lesser. If if Eisman can get a little bit creative with that deal, I'm happy to take a risk on Kosa. I know not everyone is super high on Kosa. Um, I know, I, I think it was Kat Silverman said she doesn't even think Kosa's the second best goalie in the draft like he's been touted to be. But some people think he might be even better than Wallstead. I don't know. Um, but I'm happy to take that risk to fill that part of the Red Wings depth chart. I really didn't think leading into this draft that I'd be an advocate for trading. But there are players who strike me where if they're falling and I view them as a potential top 10 in this draft. Yeah, absolutely. So outside of, you know, the obvious, you know, guys who we have ranked pretty firmly in the top 10. um, there are a few who I, I'd, I'd make that consideration for. I don't know. How about you, Evan? Sorry, I'm getting yelled at by Fred right now. <laughs> Fred is uh, Evan's butler, actually. 
There he is. That meows. There he is. The cat tax. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're going to have to edit like crazy if he uh, has any more words for me. Um, I guess it depends what the ask is, right? Uh, There's guys for sure. I think if there's any draft where there's going to be some irregularities and some chaos, this is the one. Um, do I, I, I kind of echo the same feeling you had about Kosa. Like, um, do you trade your first and a second to move up and get him? Man, that's, that's risky, but you know, taking more cider at six felt like a big risk to me as well. Um, so if they think he's their guy, then he's their guy. Um, other guys I would potentially move up for, uh, Fedor Svechkov would be one guy i like i said he's a 200 foot complete player if he's still there i would be very very interested in moving up i think there's gonna be a bunch of guys that slide down the board and i just it's hard to earmark exactly who those guys will be um but i bet there'll be a lot of fan bases at the 20 or the 19 to 25 spot banging at their on their their coffee table trying to get their gm to make a trade to get one of those guys um would i do it it all depends on the who's there you always get better value trading back so i'd prefer that move if they like a few other guys still available i don't know i'm not a huge move up guy but i could definitely see it happening this year okay uh some the the obvious answer to the trade scenarios is it really depends on who's there. I guess it's just whether or not you're more of a stout, don't do it at all, it's not worth it. Or, I mean, I would love to see a trade and I would love it for it to be 2022 or 2023 first round picks. <laughs> like That's the trade I want to see. But yeah, it's it's uh, really wide open. What numbers are the Red Wings pick in round two again? 38, uh, f- 50. What are they again? Do you remember? 38, uh, 48, 52. Okay. So I'll just throw a trade scenario at you. What uh, historically a, a move like this would have to be if you're jumping up to like a 17 or an 18. And I'll use players as a specific example. So I will just straight up use. We'll go for Svechkov. We'll, we'll use him as the hypothetical. I'll give you my 23rd ranked prospect and my 48th ranked prospect. So would you trade... Oh, sorry, I guess it would have to be my 22nd ranked prospect. Would you trade Carson Lambos and Wyatt Johnston for Fedor Sechkov? Sure. I don't know how big I am on Wyatt Johnston, so yeah. Okay, I'll uh, go one direction, one tick in each direction here. Would you trade Francesco Pinelli and William Stromgren? It gets dicey for me. That gets dicey for me at that point. I understand. No, it, it is fine margins. And like once you break it down, like you're giving up a first and a second for like it, it's hard to 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 conceptualize it. There's so much uncertainty. And that's even if this draft goes reasonably. I have seen multiple mock drafts from multiple outlets with no connection to each other who have had Fabian Lucell falling to the Red Wings at 22. Like Yeah, would be thrilled with that. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think there's a ton of reason to trade up in this draft because as much as you fall in love with a guy, there are 10 guys just like him in this draft once you get outside of the top 10. 
All right. Those are some trade scenarios. Why don't we talk about your broader rankings, Brad? So uh, not with the same amount of depth that we went through the top 10, but just walk us through quickly here. Uh, let's say your first, your top 38. Why don't you list them off? Okay. And then if you want to uh, have a comment about any of them, just tell me to stop. So we know my top 10. So starting at 11, Chaz Lucius, 12, Cole Sillinger, 13, Fedor Svechkov, uh, 14, Logan Stankovin, 15, Nikita Chibrikov, 16, Matt Coronado, 17, Sasha Pastajov, 18, Fabian Lucell, 19, Brennan Othman, 20, Corson Kuhlmans, 21, Sebastian Kosa, 22, Carson Lambos, 23, Atu Ratu, 24, Francesco Pinelli, 25, Isaac Rosen, 26, Xavier Bogot, 27, Vili Koivinen, 28, Samu Tuamala, 29, Zach Leroux, 30, Zach Bolduc, 31, Samu Salmanin, 32, Oscar Olison, 33, Mackie Samoskovich, 34, Simon Robertson, 35, Scott Morrow, 36, Ayrton Martino, 37, Sean Behrens, 38, Zach Dean. So, tell me again who number 22 was. Carson Lambos. So, if the NHL draft goes as per your rankings, Dylan Genther, Carson Lambos, Sean Behrens would be who the Red Wings would walk away with, theoretically. Yes. That is not a bad haul. That's not a bad haul. I would say that would be a successful draft, first round. Any of those guys you view as being likely to fall to pick 48 or beyond? Um, beyond that, I think Vili Koivinen uh, is probably the highest guy on my board who has a shot to go that far. Um, with all the character correct questions around Zach LaRue, it would not shock me. Um, I think there's a chance Samu Salmanen goes that low. I could see Scott Morrow... Ayrton Martino, Sean Barron's all going that low. Those were probably the only ones, though, that I could see that happening on. I have a lot of trouble, you know, talking about players beyond the second round. I'm going to be honest, like, so much of my work was focused just on the top 10 because I had a lot of difficulty with the sixth pick. Not just the sixth pick, but ranking the top 10 that once you get into the second round, it's like, what are you even doing here? It's like, piloting a ship in the middle of the ocean at dark you don't know what direction you're going in it's i'm more blind this year than i have been in a lot of previous years so in general i really just look at first round rated prospects that will likely be there in the second round and we've seen in 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 years past like every single season we've covered the draft the red wings have had multiple players who we viewed as potential late first early second round prospects available to them in the mid to late second possibly third rounds and they don't take them because that's just the way the draft goes you cannot be predictive it is so insanely wide open once you get past the first few picks um but there is going to be a world of opportunity there i can't help but think that the shibrikov pick that we've mocked to the red wings a couple times is how it's actually going to shake out though at pick 23 just put i'd be I'd be thrilled in my rankings that it'd be seven spots worth of value because I only have him two spots behind Svechkov. So if Chibrikov falls that far, I'm I'm over the moon. All right. So those are some second round targets. Those are the broader rankings there. 
any players, I guess, before we talk about some other teams and then getting into overtime here, who are your darlings? Who are the guys, you know, any at any point throughout the draft, if they're a top 10 player, if they're, you know, second round, if this is like a mid-round player who you just really, really like, who is a player that you would be thrilled if the Red Wings walked away with them just because you like them the most personally? Logan Stankovin, Francesco Pinelli, Vili Koivinen. I'll stick to three. I'm surprised you didn't say William Eklund, honestly. Oh, like... Yeah, I, I I'm guess not it's counting the easy top one. ten guys. That's a boring answer. He's my number one ranked prospects. No shit, I'd be thrilled if the Red Wings <laughs> walked away with him. Oh yeah, last year uh, I'd really like it if the Red Wings walked away with that Lafreniere guy. I've heard good things. How about you, Evan? Uh, I will echo the Chibrikov conversation. I think if the, he's available at twenty three, wow, that would I would cry if they didn't get them, and I don't show any emotion. Um. I'm starting to really, really like the Mason McTavish pick. So I'm going to say like McTavish, Chibrikov. Hell, I'll even be excited about Ratu. Ratty at this point. Um, and if somehow Edmonton doesn't take Kosa and Detroit ends, it has him there, I'll, I'll put him in the list as well. Those are my darlings. If the Red Wings pick up Sean Barron's in the second round, I'd be pretty happy. He's a guy who I keep circling back on. He's out of everybody I have. So I've, I've got a tier of prospects that where the ranking ends at 38. And then there's a bit of a gap for me. Barron's is one of the last guys I have in that rent in that tier. He's probably got the biggest question mark for me of everybody in that tier. And that tier goes up to about in the mid twenties, but holy shit, if he hits, he's going to hit. Like, that. that is a swing for the fences. You're hoping you get Tory Krug out of that. And it's not all that unreasonable to expect that that could be possible for him because he's, he's tiny, but he's dynamic. So, if he can defend competently at the NHL level, that's a really goddamn big if. He, he could be a hell of a pick. Fedor Svechkov, for obvious reasons. Um, and we've talked about that. We did a profile on what he could be as a centerman. Corson Kuhlman's is another player. I mean, right-handed defenseman, not necessarily a guy who will even be on the Red Wings in terms of need. Um, I don't think he falls there, but if he does, that's a player I'm really happy with. And I can't shake how fun Kent Johnson would be if he panned out. I'm not sh- I like, I'm not going to advocate for Johnson over Eklund, Beneers, or Power that like those guys I have ranked ahead of him. But if they went with Kent Johnson, it is a hugely risky pick. There is such a potential to bust there. I understand. Like, I couldn't sleep confidently knowing that he'd pan out. But, man, it would be so fun if he did. And I just can't get away from that. I, The Michigan connection is there. The amount of skill that he would bring to the table is there. It's hard to advocate to bring in that kind of guy where you're like, does he need a supremely talented center to really unlock him and allow him to play his game? Yeah, maybe. And the Red Wings lack that. But I don't know. I, I try not to get too buried into projecting too far out into who the Red Wings are going to have and, and whatnot. Like it's that's impossible to really predict accurately. Kent Johnson to me. I'm all for swing for the fences because screw it. We've had a shitty couple of years <laughs> in life. The Red Wings have had a shitty five, six, however many years in this rebuild. Kent Johnson could change things. The Kent Johnson that 
translates to the NHL could change things. So he is my biggest like uh, fanboy. Yeah, I would be thrilled if they get him. I I dig it. All right. Um, final note here before we jump into overtime. Let's talk about what other teams might do. Buffalo is often, uh, you know, pinned to take Owen power by other people, but they have interest in Eklund and they have interest to make moves. They're trading Reinhardt. They're trading Eichel, like both of those guys in all likelihood. They're going to have, they're going to try to pick up more assets in this draft. And they're going to try to turn this rebuild around quick because if not, the, the fans in Buffalo might burn the arena down. They might get into the top 10 again. They might try to swing both power and Eklund. They might just take Eklund first overall. So on that note, what are some predictions you guys have for other teams that either are solid or you think could be off the board, but um, in the in the realm of reality for you? Yarmo goes full yolo <laughs> he's the watch off he i could see it i'd like you laugh i could absolutely see it. i could see the red wings doing that too for whatever that's worth um you know eisman's not afraid to go off the board and if he does that would be the guy i i could see it happening for i don't know i i it's tough because you everybody seems to have owen power consensus number one Except Buffalo only interviewed him for the first time like a week ago. There's been connections to Buffalo and Eklund, which obviously based on my rankings, I would fully support if I was a Sabres fan. Um, I don't think they will. I, th- I think it's going to be power one. I think it's going to be Beneers two because, but to me, Seattle's the, the big wild card as well, because, you know, it's obvious you want to start your franchise off with a center. But Beniers isn't like the mega crazy high upside center. Like, is is Matt Beniers the face of a franchise? My hot take is that Seattle takes Wallstead. I could see it. I legit right? could see it. I'm. I don't. I wouldn't bet bet on it. But like, it makes sense. He's he's got star power. He's got that holy shit factor that Matt Beniers doesn't have. More question marks, but. Seattle's got a blank slate. They do not give a sh- they at least they should not give a crap about position. Um <laughs> they need it all. Yeah, I don't know. I I I feel like for any time we feel like something's gonna be crazy unpredictable, the exact opposite happens. So I think it's gonna be power. I think it's gonna be veneers. I've seen a lot of connections. I think I mentioned it already with Anaheim and Genther. Not a lot. I've seen some. Okay, that makes sense. They they have a lack of scoring. I think the New Jersey Hughes connection makes a lot of sense. The only two names I've heard connected to Columbus are McTavish and Edvinson. Um, so great, I sure. And then with Detroit, the only connections I've heard are McTavish and Wallstep. But I want to say the two most commonly. Uh, connected names to the Red Wings last year were Perfetti and Askarov. So don't read too much into that. There was almost nothing connecting Lucas Raymond to the Red Wings, and there was definitely nothing connecting Sider to the Red Wings until the Red Wings got on the phone with the Canucks a couple hours before the draft. So yeah, so I I, I take all of these with a huge grain of salt. I hope I hope it gets silly season. I hope Svechkov goes at five. I hope. Edvinson goes like at like two 
Like I, I want this to be as weird as possible to the point where Eklund falls to the Red Wings. But yeah, I, I want max entertainment value for the rest of the draft. And there is very much the potential to be here, to have that here, because you've got a team that doesn't always go with the consensus at number one. You've got a team with a complete blank slate at number two. You've got a team with a lot of different needs at number three. And you've got a madman at number five. So I... I've heard the predictions. I've heard the connections. I don't really buy into them. So I am prepared for everything. Yeah, just some context. And this is a little bit of background. We don't usually talk about this kind of thing, but really to drive home how hard it is to get reliable information on the Red Wings. We, this isn't trying to tutor our our own horn. It's nothing like that. I promise you. We had actual sources, multiple in the Ken Holland era. It's just the reality of it. And that's not to speak to, you know, Holland's management style or anything like that. No, I have enough criticisms of Holland, you know, actual hockey ops decisions to, to pin this on him. It's more a testament to how tight of a ship Heisman runs and it is iron clad. I can count on less than one hand, the amount of reliable pieces of information we've had that have not come through other teams. Like Brad mentioned, the more cider thing came out because the Red Wings were essentially trying to trade back to justify the value to take more at cider instead of uh, where they did, you know, maybe a ninth overall. I think that's where Vancouver was or, you know, in the Vancouver Edmonton range. It was the Vancouver side of things that leaked it. In terms of getting things directly from the Red Wings, it almost never happens. We have barely ever seen it personally in terms of our sources it is extremely difficult. And it's not just us. Like, yeah, you, you might say, okay, we're just podcasters. And that's true. Look at the actual insiders for the NHL. Look how much Red Wings news has fallen off of a cliff. And if you're a Red Wings fan, like, yeah, it makes for some dull times because there aren't as many rumors. But it is it, it is a good thing. I'm happy about that. Because it means that's a, a, a tight operation. It is a strict operation with high expectations of employees so yeah i have a lot of belief in what eisman's doing and it's a sign that he is running a good show but when people tell you they have concrete information please take that with a massive massive brad's head size grain of salt so uh evan your predictions in terms of what other teams might do maybe some off the board stuff that might happen i think there are going to be a lot of trades that's another thing i'll put out i think there's gonna be a lot of first round trades here I think there'll be a lot of draft floor activity, whether that be actual trades materializing or just a lot of uh, kicking the proverbial tires. Um, how do you predict chaos? I don't know. Well, when you got Yarmo Kekalina drafting in the top five, that always aligns for some potential chaos, um, as well as... Buffalo could have some chaos at one too as well. So, and we don't know what Seattle will do because they're a new team. What's their direction? What's their focal point in building a team? We're not, I'm not too sure yet. Um, so I think if we're going to see chaos, it's going to start early and it will set the table for the rest of the first round, maybe early second. Um, I can't really narrow anybody down who i think will do something crazy columbus is the one that always sticks out to me because kekalainen just does not care for what people think is the consensus and he will just do it 
maybe I would even lump Detroit into that because when they get their when they have their guy, they go for it as we saw with Cider. So yeah, I, I guess that's sort of a roundabout way of saying I'm not too sure, um, but I would imagine there will be lots of noise and lots of discussion and activity. Oh, there's Fred. <laughs> um, Sounds like he's just saying, day. "Hey, hey, Evan." <laughs> he is. He is just saying that because he wants his dinner or his nighttime wet food. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, we're on a strict schedule. <laughs> oh, anyways, sorry, keep going. Uh, that was just uh, like a roundabout way of saying there could be, there could not be, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is, given the unpredictability of this draft. All right. So while you guys were talking there, just just for funsies, I, I went to a mock draft simulator and put the randomness setting to about average. And uh, I did a first two rounds mock. And this is what the Red Wings rocked, walked away with. Ken Johnson. Matt Coronado, Sasha Pastajov, Sean Barons, Vili Koivinen. I don't think Matt Coronado makes it there, so I'd be thrilled. That is an incredible haul. I would be over the moon with that haul. It's. I don't think any of those... I, I think out of all of those, the least likely is Coronado at 23. I would not be shocked if Pastajov is there at 20, uh, 38. I would not be shocked if Barons is there at 48. I would not be shocked if Koivinen is there at 52. Like I said, I have Koivinen ranked 27, but he's a guy you could almost make a calculated gamble on because he's not very high on very many rankings. So, um, yeah, it's like I have four of my four guys drafted here in my first round and one guy just inside my second round. So, and that's five picks deep. That's the type of draft it's going to be, though, overall. Like I said, I, I think right now we have a pretty good feel for the top 15-ish uh, from what everybody's been reporting, everything that's coming out. But yeah, I think once it gets past that, it's chaos. We are going to see so many uh, Mookamadoulin picks this year. One last question here before we jump into overtime. There's a ton of swing for the fences talent in, in the first round at the top 10. And that's not to say like all those guys are over the moon incredible players but they come with high risk but the high ceiling reward might be there if you develop them well this is a roundabout way of saying does matthew beniers get pushed down the order to pick six in any likely scenario in your head and if so is he an automatic pick for detroit unless eckland falls he should be the automatic pick because uh, power's not falling down that far I, I don't think it's likely. Center is the position teams always reach for. So, I mean, if people are going to reach for a center, they're sure as hell not going to pass up on the guy who's just there. All right. Any final notes before we jump into overtime on the 2021 NHL draft? Prepare for chaos, I hope. All right, so that is our NHL draft preview. If you thought that this year's draft preview seemed different than other years, please know that that is a product of how hard it was to evaluate this year's draft, but we hope you guys enjoy it. It won't be the last of our draft talk. We do have one more episode coming before the NHL draft. 
that is uh, on Wednesday. That is going to be mainly expansion draft, but if there's any draft news, we will be mentioning it there. Uh, this is also a good time to say before the expansion or before the uh, overtime segment here. We are going to be giving away a prize to a Patreon supporter, and that is a signed Henrik Zetterberg stick. So a uh, Henrik Zetterberg stick that's been signed by Hank himself, uh, the actual Henrik Zetterberg, not Brad's son, Hank. Uh, and we'll be giving that away to a random patron after the draft recap episode. So that's just our way of saying thank you to our patrons. That's been a, a prize that we've been excited to give away for a little while. There are giveaways to come uh, again, just as a, an idea for the schedule coming up Wednesday, uh, the 21st. We have the expansion draft live stream. So tune in on YouTube for the live stream as we cover the expansion draft. And then there's an episode recording and dropping straight afterwards. Friday, the 23rd, first round uh, NHL draft live stream. Uh, on Saturday is the Patreon exclusive stream slash hangout for the rest of the draft. And on Sunday is our draft recap episode. So lots to come on that front. All right. Let's jump into overtime here. Uh, our patrons are the reason we were able to um, spend the time building out our evaluation, analysis, resources, etc. on draft prospects. So uh, our Patreon supporters are really the, the, the heartbeat of this show. So thank you all so much. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support and be considered uh, as part of the draw for that Henrik Zetterberg stick. Uh, thank the Lord for Brad Crisco. Never mind. I take back every nice thing I said about patrons because that's a stupid name. <laughs> I did, I wasn't saying that. That's literally the first name, the first patron's name who said that. Uh, yeah. Thank the Lord for Brad Crisco says the Flyers seem to be making it clear that their first round pick is available. Should Stevie try to trade for it to give us three firsts or will Philly likely have to keep it to give it to someone as a sweetener for taking on the Voracek contract? Uh, I don't think so. Vorchek's still a, a good player. Um, he, he's what I was, I forget where I was listening to today. It was probably Friedman, um, said that it's more likely than not Vorchek ends up in Philly next year. So it's not like they have to move him. Um, but what does Detroit have worth the 13th overall pick? Like that would have to be something centered around. Bertuzzi. I don't think there's anything else that they could have in play. Um, I think, to be fair, I think Philly was one of the teams I heard uh, poking around on Bertuzzi, so it may be possible, but I wouldn't call it overly likely. Okay. Um, moving on, Nick Geyer says, um, Hey, fellas, I've been trying not to get overhyped about uh, Cider, so what are three realistic expectations for him as he gets ready for his debut? If you want like a muted realistic expectation, like uh, you're not talking best case scenario here, he is the Red Wings acting number two defenseman. He eats a ton of minutes. He plays a strong shutdown game and he is able to fill in on the second power play. Uh, Don't be a train wreck defensively. Um. He wants the third, so Evan, your realistic expectation for Cider. Oh, man, Jeff Blashell's the coach, so who the hell even knows what he'll do? Um, plays second pairing minutes, helps on the power play, second power play unit, plays some penalty kill, isn't noticeable, isn't noticeably poor. 
you know, if if we don't see him for the first real ten games, I think that's a huge win. All right, Patrick Modreski says, "I know most Wings fans are hoping for Eklund, but I want Kent Johnson badly. I feel that kind of top end skill is hard to pass on in a draft like this. One thing I noticed about him is that uh, that isn't talked about at all is his elite ability to create time and space for himself and his teammates when he has the puck. It's beautiful to watch." <laughs> this next comment is from. Came Insider at Cider with a C says, just want to thank you guys for everything you do as a third shift truck driver. You make my Wednesday and Sunday nights a bit more enjoyable while driving. Mr. Cider, thank you for tuning in. We're happy to be able to help. Uh, Cody Stark says, my daughter eats, sleeps, and shits. She's her father's daughter. Who would this year's Cider be? The guy that's rated by the majority of pundits to go 15 to 25 that ends up going 4 to 8. Ooh. Uh, from again, not my own opinion, just from what I've kind of read from other bigger, more prominent outlets in the know, um, Svechkov or Kuhlman's Kuhlman's was someone for me who I thought, yeah, that might be it. Um, Coronado, I don't know where he's typically placed. Some people have him, you know, closer to 10 than 20, but Coronado is another guy who I can see sneaking into the top 10. Okay, uh, Bill Nye the Thigh Guy says, Hey there, dubbed up boys. Do you think the Keith move, Keith move has uh, set the precedent uh, for trades this offseason or will it be seen as an outlier? As a scientist, I think this is an outlier. Second question is, when will Brad do another Gear Talk episode? Loving the interviews and guests bringing uh, you're bringing on to make this offseason good. Cheers, boys. Um, very, very soon to your second question. And to your first question, I think it's an outlier. Um, one... Look who's involved. And two, I think that trade was made mostly on the intangibles. And honestly, there are not many players around the league who have the intangibles, uh, see Stanley Cup rings, uh, that Duncan Keith does. Uh, yeah, we'll get back into non-draft stuff once we are able to get through the next couple of weeks, sleep for a billion years. And then wake up and then get back into that fun content. Uh, Polish Thunder says, hey, guys, who says no to this trade? Wings take on the last three years of Martin Jones at $5.75 million per year with Thomas Bordalo as a sweetener. And Detroit sends a late round pick fifth to seventh back to San Jose. Love the idea of getting another promising U of M player and also having Jones in net for uh, for Detroit almost guarantees the best draft odds for Shane Wright. <laughs> I think Detroit says no, I don't. I don't think they want to tie themselves down to anything longer than a year or two. Yeah. I mean, it's not a knock on Bordalo as a prospect, but three years at 5.75 when they got a second round pick for one year of stall at that essentially the same price. That's hard. That's a really hard ask for Detroit. Uh, Steven Fairbrother says, Hey guys, I'm a longtime listener from New Brunswick. It's hard to have meaningful conversations with other Red Wings fans around here. So you fill a huge void for the draft. If you had to choose, first of all, thank you for your support. And, um, it always means a lot to us when we can help connect Wings fans from afar. Cause I mean, in a way that's what we are, um, for the draft, if you had to choose, would you rather take Johnson and Sveshkov or Eklund and Kosa? I find all the D, including the consensus number one, sketchy. But after the uh, what the Firk Cider draft night, I'll trust whoever Eisenman picks at this point. Thanks a lot and keep up the good work. That is a very good hypothetical. I'm going to go with Johnson and Svechkov here because I'm big on Johnson. And I think Svechkov could be a – I think he could play 2C. 
behind Larkin or be Red Wings 2C. I hate this podcast because all I took from that statement was that you're big on Johnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm big. I'm huge on Johnson. I, <laughs> I hate everything that I am. Um, my initial gut reaction here would be to just take the one with Eklund because he's my top ranked prospect, but, and I have Kosa ranked right around that 22 mark. But if I add up there, if I just go rudimentary math, one in like 20, and then for Johnson and Svechkov, that would be like 17. So on value, I'll go Kent Johnson and Fedor Svechkov. I'll take, um, it was Eklund and Kosa, right? Yeah. Those are my, the other, I'll take those. Eklund, for obvious reasons, and Kosa fills a direct position of need in the goalie pipeline. All right, uh, Tony Hattress is just writing in with something that's both amusing to me and causing me uh, some struggle. Last week, I started taking a bachata class, which is a dance class, if you're unfamiliar, with my fiance because she was really excited about it and I wanted to make her happy. Good man. Uh, however, I'm struggling to take it seriously because the primary instructor is a dead ringer for Brad, albeit slightly younger and less stacked. He even makes everything uh, a dad joke. Between that... Uh, between that being in my head and both of us not being natural dancers, our progress has been slow but still fun. Anyways, thought you might get a laugh. I'll make sure I tweet you a picture from our next lesson if the guy's cool with it. That's hysterical. I would not survive that class. Yeah, that sounds like a dead ringer for me, except the skill that I am the worst at on the face of this planet is dancing. So <laughs> it's the only part about it that uh, doesn't line up. I can't even envision you trying to dance. <laughs> It's for the best. I can't. I don't make think fun- anybody's ever envisioned it because I've never, you know, tried. I I can't make fun of anyone because I'm the exact same as you. I can't dance at all. As someone who went to Brad's wedding, I'll tell you guys, he's not kidding. He not only can't dance, but he doesn't. When he's drunk, he just kind of runs in a direction towards someone and then talks at them excitedly. It's just Brad, but faster. It's it's Brad in avoidance mode. <laughs> Oh, there's a song playing. People want to dance. Cool. I'm going to get a drink. Oh, this guy looks like he's bored. I'll talk to him. Uh, Colorado 14er says, who, in your opinion of the Red Wing of the current Red Wings, Griffins or draftees would be the first to hang up on Steve Eisman after receiving less than bad news or uh, less than news? And how bad would that news have to be? Uh, the Red Wing Bertuzzi, maybe Bertuzzi. He's the only one that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't the Red Wings don't have any attitude guys. Like they don't have that guy that's been with the team for so long that it would come as a complete and utter shock outside of Larkin, but they're not getting rid of him. Yeah, I I don't have a good answer here, so I'll say Bertuzzi. You know, um yeah, I think not because he has an attitude thing, but imagine the shock Larkin would get if he was traded. That would probably be tough. Um, the actual Terry says, I'm of the opinion that swear words are indeed arbitrary and it's stupid that it's a thing in society. However, the fact that they're taboo is what gives them the power. Seriously, did you know that using a swear word can increase your strength when doing things? And it's purely because it's taboo and causes some crazy chemical release in your brain. But I digress. Also, still still looking for these cheese bags. I'd like to file a complaint to the podcast manager since I've been censored. Uh, I, 
stay fresh cheese bags is a running joke that started from Joseph, one of our patrons and listeners and friends. Uh, and it's something that he just brought in because someone said it like, that's something I'm going to say when someone leaves the room, stay fresh cheese bags. And he just brought it in. And then I got taken literally uh, partially through him and Rowan and turning them into actual cheese bags. Anyways, it's if that sounds stupid and way too inside jokey and meta, I mean, it is, but we love it. Uh, on a more serious note, Ryan, what's next on a night in with Ryan Hanna? Oh, it'll be a, a retrospective on burnout during the pandemic and how the f- F, we're busier when we're locked down. That's what the next night in with Ryan Hanna is about. If you guys can't tell, I need a nap. Uh, Brad, what are the odds of Seattle taking Hiroshi in the expansion draft? Slim to none. Uh, Evan, please stop talking about golf. Otherwise, great job. Thank you. <laughs> Ruthless and Toothless says, I think we should all cheer for Ottawa this year. We owe them a debt of gratitude for taking Pierre off the air. Literally one of the most ignorant broadcasters I've come across. I'll never uh, forget the time he said F1 wasn't a sport and the drivers weren't athletes. Live on air. Thanks, Pierre McGuire, for the fond memories. I bid you adieu with my two birds held a high. Uh, next comment is from Hey Evan. Hey Evan, what's your best it's not what it looks like moment? That is... We would have to scrub this entire thing. <laughs> We've been recording for what? Two hours now? Two hours. I can't I can't tell that story because we'd have to just get rid of the whole episode. Patreon exclusive? Yeah, maybe. All right. Uh, Dennis K says, how can you even make a case for not drafting Wallstead with like that? Wall is in his name. Think about it. Big Mo and the wall. Dennis, you're not wrong, man. It's really tough. Um, Vax waxed and I don't know, man, I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> Sorry, Joseph says, Hey fellas. Now, Brad, John, I know that, you know, uh, that Kent Johnson has a wire thin frame and couldn't crack your a regular spot at center among the U of M forwards. And I know that, you know, that Mason McTavish was a phenom scoring center in juniors and only played wing in Switzerland because he joined the team at the last minute. And that's where they slotted him. And he drove the offense from the wing on his line and manufactured offense as a 17 year old in a men's league. And I know that, you know, that I know that, you know, that I know that, you know, that Aussie for hall of fame, stay fresh cheese bags. It's it- and. I know that you know the NCAA is a better and tougher hockey league than any of the ones you mentioned. <laughs> Ooh. You view the ed work in the NCAA as more impactful than uh, the Swiss League he was in. It's the Tier 2 Swiss League. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I, I yeah. just wanted to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, and then also says, also ask for the Rocky Mountain Oysters. I don't know if that's referencing something or I just got tricked into saying something on air. Uh, Justin and the Angry Mob. Uh, Justin, congrats on getting the job, buddy. Uh, says, ciao, fellas. Draft day is just about a week away. And once again, the Red Wings are in a position to draft a quality player at sixth. We've all got our uh, Druthers on, Druthers, Druthers, uh, on who we would like to draft. Personally, it's Eklund or McTavish for me. But this podcast is all about the draft. So let me ask you guys this. Do you anticipate any draft day trades that would be more than just a hockey deal? Doesn't have to be Detroit. Yeah, like I referenced earlier, I think there's too many moving parts in the NHL with the expansion draft, the flat cap hurting teams, major names like Eichel and Reinhardt, and relevant to Detroit Bertuzzi. There's too much for something not to happen. So I think, yeah, there's going to be some kind of big trade. I'm not even ruling out that a couple of these big trades are done. 
Um, they're stuffed in the back pocket of the GMs and they're not making it now because of expansion protection issues because the team doesn't want to take on Eichel now because they have to expose another forward then. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be as much as we think. It never is. But I think uh, the Thursday and the Friday of draft week, we're going to see a few come down the pipeline just because obviously if teams are getting picks for this draft, they want them before the draft. But a lot of the expansion protection list issues um, can't get sorted out till after the expansion draft Wednesday. So I think we're going to get about a 36 to 48 hour window of some serious entertainment there. All right, um, and another fun scenario coming our way. You're going to Detroit for the draft party, but want to get something to eat beforehand with all the great places to eat in Detroit, but an inability to replicate ourselves so that we can be in multiple places at once. What restaurant would be your number one overall pick for dinner before the party? I'll hang up and listen. Stay fresh, cheese bags. You're going to make me pick just one, huh? It's been a long time since I've had a Coney Island dog. It's been a really long time. And honestly, I cannot remember the name of the place, but Mexican town, there's just so much good food there. I don't know. Like it's been a really long time since I've been back to Detroit for the food specifically. Uh, I'm terrible at remembering the specific names, but yeah, Coney Island dog or something in Mexican town. Brad eats at the Hard Rock Cafe. I want everyone to know that. And he's dragged Evan and I there multiple times, so he should live that shame on air. When there was at the Jolo, when, uh, the wings still played at the Joe. It was free parking, convenient, and they had a shuttle. I wasn't overthinking this shit. Brad, 45 places in Detroit validate your parking. It's still not an excuse know, to eat at the I Hard know. Rock. It was simple. I didn't overthink it. I was there for the beer and the hockey, not the food. I didn't give a shit about what I was eating. <laughs> Evan, do you have any uh, favorite restaurants? Yeah, I was trying to look it up right now, but I can't remember what the hell the place is called. Well, we'll come back to it. Uh, Jif. Says, good day, dud duds. A lot of heckin' swears in the last episode of the talkie show. And even after a supposedly valued member of something you call the dubbed up family advised you, their young children listen to you for shame. Uh, prospect argument time. All right, Evan, you are evaluating this. Uh, BJ, tell the people why Eisman should YOLO and pick Fedor Svechkov at six. Uh, Cryan, which is me, Ryan, says, argue why he shouldn't. And again, do it good. Go at each other. Someone throw a punch. We deserve bloodshed. I don't know, Brad, do you want to switch roles here? No, because I like a challenge, but <laughs> like what I gotta take a guy ranked in the mid-teens and pick him at six. I very I like 12 players better than the draft. Okay, whatever. Um 200 foot game center. If his offense is even 20% better than we think it will be, he is a surefire top six centerman on a good team. There's the case for it. If you wanted Fedor Svechkov, I'd be much happier taking a, you know, the, the five tool player in William Eklund or the swing for the, the stars in Kent Johnson and then using your assets to trade up from pick 23 for wherever Fedor Svechkov is going to go. Um, it is, that would be too much for, of a reach for me because he's, He's too much of a safe pick. He'd be a great player to have, and I would love for the Red Wings to end up with him at pick 23 or even if they trade up. But in my mind, there's just too many high upside, high risk, high upside players at six that I would prefer to take. The fact that you have multiple picks in the first round makes it not unthinkable for me, but it just would not be the best asset management. I'd rather I'd rather spend those assets on a trade and get, you know, the 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 high ceiling player and the safe centerman in Svechkov. 
Well, yeah, but then you lose the opportunity of having Svechkov and Svechnikov on the same line. Oh, that's actually a fantastic point. <laughs> Poor Mickey. <laughs> I don't. I don't see them. And also, you. I mean, you. You did make a pretty heavy reach for Sider. Doesn't matter where you ranked him. No one had him where the Red Wings took him. Retroactively, yeah, that seems to have worked out pretty well so far. But I don't know that you can strike. Can lightning strike twice that way? I wouldn't they, make that bet. Svechkov played in Europe, and if the Red Wings pick him at six and you argue against it, it means you're arguing against Hakan Anderson, and that's not going to end well for you. Well, it's not perfect. That's all I got. Please don't counterpoint. I don't have anything else to follow up with. Evan, Evan you're judging the winner on that one. The real winner is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> I'm choking on a Dorito. (laughs) On brand, as always. The the real winner is us for getting to experience Evan's last word. Jesus. Uh, And he shoves another handful in. (laughs) It's like fighting fire with fire. You you eat more Doritos to dislodge the stuck Dorito. I have a problem. Uh, (laughs) He's still choking. BJ, what do your beloved stars need and who should they be targeting in the first couple of rounds? they're one of those teams they're not really super strong at any one position in their pipeline um i don't know what what's their pick again 15 yeah okay my 15th ranked prospect is uh chibrikov so him yeah that's not bad i mean a lot of people have aturatu being aturatu being mocked to them so not terrible um, Jersey time, bottom three OHL jerseys, keeping it local for you. Stay fresh cheese bags. Oh my God. Flint and Windsor, the bottom two for sure. Those are travesties to the game of hockey. It, piping Wind- apocalypse never went away. I know. Windsor pisses me off because the piping that expands at the shoulders murders me, especially because they had the, uh, cream slash off white and, um, dark blue W jerseys or even their old school Spitfires badge. So much better. As a Windsor fan and a Windsor native, that kills me. Um, Peterborough then, uh, beats for me. What? The, the, I, I, I like the scheme. I like the word mark. I hate the sides. Like It's almost like piping-esque. I, I can't it, stand it, it works when it's only two colors. No, for me, it's eerie at number three. Those new stupid, ugly, I don't even know what shade of yellow those pieces of garbage are. Those. Those. Flint, Erie, and Windsor, and it's not close. I don't particularly it's, like Ottawa either. The 67s, really? Yeah, I think they're kind of ugly. They're a little wild for sure, but I think they I think they're classic. Like they they might be objectively hard on the eyes, but I think they're just classic as a hockey sweater. Kills me to say, but the London Knights have a super clean uniform on the opposite end. Oh, London's are top tier. I mean, Kitchener's are not original, but it's the Rangers jersey. They're iconic. Love them. Can't hate them. And low-key, most people hate on them. I love North Bay. (laughs) I love the military green. It works. Oh, the battalion? Yeah. I I call them Brampton. I still call them Brampton in my head. Yeah. It's been a while, right? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Okay. Uh, Tej says, is it bad that I love Jesper but don't want to draft him because certain sections of the Red Wings fan base? Also, Brad is the only reason you think we should get Erickson is so you can have matching stars in Red Wings jersey. <laughs> Hell yeah. Let's do it. I'll cut it in half and sew it together. Uh, Eric DRW says, what surprise players from other teams could you expect to see exposed for the expansion draft? 
Shea Weber. Yeah, uh, Shea Weber. Um, ben Bishop was one that actually came through that I was a little bit surprised to see. Not shocked, but I don't they know. They Kudobin and Ottinger, even though Ottinger is exempt, but still. San Jose I have not a tough spot, eh? <laughs> no, they're not. If they can shed a contract, they're thrilled. Um, God, I have not looked into the other team's protection list nearly enough to form an inf- to give an informed opinion here. Expansion draft coverage coming. Uh, we'll have a hit on Monday after the uh, lists are released on Sunday. All right, everyone. That is the 2021 NHL draft preview episode it's uh meaty it includes johnson uh and it includes a lot of enthusiasm for your host i'm sorry for making that joke uh but no that is a a, an incredibly for us it feels like shallow coverage because there's just so much to know about this draft and it's so difficult but it's a lot of content being thrown your way so thank you for sticking with us uh as we've covered the draft more draft coverage to come of course as we approach uh the 23rd the draft stream so stay tuned for all of that um but that's the preview as it is enjoy um and we will talk to you soon thank you to all of our listeners our name level sponsors arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sarah grand foundation Brett Bailey, King Tone, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah Banana Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, Brendan M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Bob Mortimer's hand lion, Brad Furcht and Ostrich, allegedly, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, As Good As It Gets, Trevor Pevavar, Vaxed Wax, and I don't know, man, I'm running out of ideas. Thank you all so much. We're almost there. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.